everyone, welcome to Heart's Happiness Podcast. The place where I, Manpreet, share my journey of healing intergenerational family trauma to help you to understand your story. I share a bunch of tools and tips that will transform your mental health and allow you to find your own heart's happiness. So exciting, right? Each episode will cover one of three areas. One, raising awareness of what this trauma actually is and how it hides in our lives. Two, tools, tips, support, lots of different things that I've used to get better and heal from this trauma. And three, I'll be connecting you with so many specialists and therapists and coaches as guests on my show. So we are going to transform your mental health and empower you to take your healing by the hands and move forward. Welcome back for another episode of Heart's Happiness. Today, I'm speaking to a relationship therapist called Simone Bose, and she's going to be telling us all about how we can heal our relationship wounds and have better relationships. So she's going to introduce herself in a second. I cover relationships in both my eight-week courses, both the group and one-to-one. So if you are interested, check out my website, heartshappiness.co.uk to find out more and contact me if you wanted to be on the wait list for my next group coaching program or sign up for the one-to-one eight-week coaching program. So let's get Simone to introduce herself. Hi everyone, welcome back for another episode. I have Simone here. Can you explain who you are and what you do and all that kind of stuff? Hi Manpreet, how are you doing? Um, yeah, um, so my name is Simone Bose and I'm a relationship therapist. I um, trained at Relate, which is the largest relationship therapy organisation in the UK. Um, I did my master's there and I have been working, I'm still working with Relate for the last, I've been doing that for the last five years, but I've also gone into private practice for the last uh, two years. And um the relationship therapy is it, it basically you work with couples, individuals, as well as families. So, and it's all, all all relational, and we tend to use a psychodynamic and systemic approach to therapy. It's quite integrative, though. So, um, you know, you integrate lots of different. I mean, I find that as I've been con- starting my practice and getting more into it, I constantly want to learn and like add new approaches and the latest research that you read up on you you kind of want to add it to what you know and mm-hmm. and and use that if you if you can if it works so um obviously cbt is very useful so sometimes i'll use some techniques from cbt from uh, training that i've had with that or narrative therapy emdr which is i think maybe you might be familiar with that you know trauma trauma work yeah the eye movement therapy that. Yes, exactly. But mainly, I focus on working with families, couples and individuals. What made you get into it? Of all the other specialisms out there? And because you did, you're quite recent, five years, so it wasn't your career to begin with. So how comes you decided to get into it? Well, I think when I was younger, I did psychology for A-level and I was interested in it then, but I actually felt like I wasn't ready for it or it wasn't for me at that time. Maybe Mm -hmm. I didn't have a belief that I I could do it yet. Felt Mm -hmm. quite immature in some ways to be a therapist. I don't know. That's what I felt like. And so I ended up going and working in TV for about 15 years, which I I did enjoy, but I found after a while I was yearning for something a little bit deeper and I kept going back to psychology and thinking about yeah, what, you know, I love people. I love psychology. Um, What can I do? I think, yes, I think I'll go back into, I think I'm going to go for it now. So when I turned 34, I started, I started my journey on, um, I basically, I worked in media, but then did my master's as I was going along. And then finally took the plunge to actually go full time into therapy, which has been the best move I've ever made. And yeah, I I love it. I bet you you get to change people's lives. So it's, it's amazing, like personally on that level. You mentioned a few things that some listeners might not know the difference. So as I haven't had a therapist mm. on here for a while, so can you explain the difference between psychodynamic narrative and CBT, all those different therapies that you mentioned, just so people know the different options they have out there? Psychodynamic is, I mean, that's a very common one. Yeah, that's a very popular one. And it's it's all about the unconscious, looking at attachment theory, object relations, you know, the internal, connecting that with how you attach with your parents, your main caregivers, and looking at that, mm-hmm. and your internal working models. It's all very internal. 
So what, from um, your early years? So from your early to, years, yeah. From yeah. zero to seven. Um, narrative therapy, in terms of like actually seeing a therapist who specialise in that, I am not very familiar with what they do in a purest sense, but I do know that when I use narrative therapy, it's all about the stories that you tell Yes. about yourself your script your yes. um what's your story so far you mm-hmm. know it could be quite yeah. negative actually how do you describe your maybe some experience that you've had in your life and how does that define you how do you how does that define who you are now and what do you want your narrative to be in the future as well so it's about that and sometimes reframing that and, mm-hmm. and looking at that differently sometimes you need to be able to reframe it and look at your experiences in a different way and find meaning in them yeah or using sure. a different language to describe them um yeah, that and sounds so like just, it's really powerful, mm, especially mm, with relationships and how you maybe the story you tell yourself about a particular relationship and then reframing that could be really interesting. And CBT is a popular one, but yeah, just in case NHS, people yeah, yeah. just use it a lot. Very popular, I think, because it has it does have good results, but it's basically looking at you know how your mind and your emotions and your thoughts are connected and being in connect in touch with those and how your emotions affect your thoughts and your thoughts affect your emotions, and then being able to yeah basically rewire that and, and challenge those thoughts and think in a, in a different way, like changing your perspective. Mm-hmm. So that takes practice, obviously, like looking, I think it can be quite similar to reframing and narrative mm-hmm. uh, therapy in that sense, like telling something a little bit differently to yourself, being yeah. able to step out of your situation and look at it a little bit differently. And it yeah. tends to be more in the present rather, CBT, they don't tend to go back and delve into your past and your unconscious. It's more about the now. Mm-hmm interesting I love I mean well for me personally the thing that helped me was the unconscious going back to the beginning and really exploring that because it was playing out in my relationships in in my current life like in my Mm -hmm. Mm mid-30s and it was just very much like a play out of say Mm -hmm. me and Mm -hmm. my unavailable parents so that's why it's it's super interesting with through your work with Relay and all the relationships that you've done what would you say is the biggest cause for relationship issues within a romantic relationship as opposed to parentals etc I think it really if there was like a theme that came up that was really really I think it's the trust, tr- people trusting each other or losing oh, yeah. losing faith in each other and being able to be vulnerable with one another. Yeah, you find intimacy. that that comes up a lot, intimacy. Mm. Um, and I find that one of the things that breaks trust, it, you okay, so obviously there's like things like infidelity, which is like betrayal, like a blatant, you know, betrayal um, of someone's trust. But then there can also be more subtle trusts broken. And that connects with the attachment style that you are and like what, you know, how sensitive you are to your trust being broken and mm-hmm. then what defense mechanism you go into. Yeah. Yeah. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then you find yourself when couples come in, especially when couples come in, you find them in their defense modes and they're stuck in a pattern in a dance of um, one person is in an attachment style of survival mode where they are like avoidant and they're yes. like detached from the it's relationship different. they they step away and the other person might be more anxious mm-hmm. and they and they and they're stepping towards the person and they need and they might be angry or they might be aggressive or they might be trying to get the other person to respond and that's not happening and so mm-hmm. uh, there's trust broken so they're not coming towards they're, they're not coming towards each other in a healthy way in a in a secure way in a calm way in a loving way yeah they're fully yeah. defended that makes sense so I did an attachment episode a couple of weeks ago because I think oh, it's you did. so ah, fascinating yeah yeah just yeah. Of going through the mm-hmm. different types and I myself grew up and didn't realize this but disorganized attachment so that's like a little bit of everything both yeah Yeah. a little bit of everything yeah Mm -hmm. and now um I'm in a better place I kind of dance in and out of say secure attachment but then I'll go back into anxious a little bit but I catch myself so it's like a little bit so I feel like even though I've done a lot of healing you can still even when you become more conscious and aware of your patterns you still do it a little bit and I think my partner's the same he sort of dances in and out of secure and avoidant but it's interesting when you work out which one you are and how you are attracted to the other type. <laughs> yes, right. yes, totally. And also, yeah, the fit that you, the the couple fits, like what you're drawn to in the other person. Yeah. Um, do, I mean, for instance, you'll find that some people are attracted to, well, 
you know unavailable people that are emotionally unavailable yeah I was um, definitely attracted to that in the past and for some reason you're repeating a pattern from your childhood so then you you know as a therapist I would be obviously all over that and like going yeah. into the past and say tell me about your relationships yeah. about your your father and you and your mother and you know because it might yeah. be the mother as well it doesn't have to actually be the, the father necessarily yeah. um and you might say yeah I found that you know I sh you know I was it was a very kind of chaotic relationship sometimes I would get attention and sometimes I wouldn't and I didn't know how to regulate my emotions with that so maybe that's why you were you were both maybe it was very chaotic in your childhood like and you found lots of different ways to try and cope like sometimes you would shut down mm -hmm. and sometimes you would get angry and annoyed and and aggressive or you know critical or, or very needy or people pleasing it could be yeah. any of yeah. those things all of, I those, mean, things. All of those things maybe not <laughs> angry but um yeah. oh, that makes sense um definitely I mean for me personally that's exactly my so my past issues were I had a very emotionally unavailable dad so that's who I chased mm. after in yeah. my adult life not realizing I, 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 mm -hmm. I obviously I had a lot of therapy and I figured it out but mm -hmm. um I speak to a lot of clients actually that are and it's, I, the, my particular pattern was keeping me single though. Whereas I hear of people that are in relationships, say mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. unavailable partners or um, they're, they're chasing within their own relationship, even for that validation and love. Um, so how does, I'm guessing you see people like this actually. So yeah. Couples yeah. that are married and they're doing that dance. Yes. And, um, which is so different to my experience because I was single. So it was a bit, a little bit different. Um, how do you help people like that? <laughs> well, uh, so firstly, it is about delving into the past and like, so understanding what their pattern is and then going into the past and seeing where these patterns are coming from. How did you attach? Because the attachment with your parent they've they basically they 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 discovered um you know really amazing people like bulby obviously discovered child child attachment you know um infant attachment mm -hmm. he discovered that um and then um there's somebody called Ainsworth, Mary Ainsworth, carried on that research and then people started to realize that there's a an adult the adult attachment is very similar to the child attachment so the relationship you have with your main caregiver there'll be one like main caregiver that you're very attached to is very similar to the attachment that you have with your with your partner with with the one that you love basically we would go back and then talk about all of that try to understand what's going on there yes I can see that you know you you shut down when your mother didn't give you attention or you could have been somebody that always needed to comfort your your mother because she was very needy of you and so you were like a rescuer like a care carer for your mother like you became that kind of role and like how does that come into your relationship so you have to be like a rescuer in your relationship you have to take control in your relationship you can see the correlation between that and that and we connect that we bring that into the present with the couple and we say okay so this is your behavior this is your behavior you're hearing each other understand what's happened that's the that's a powerful thing about couples therapy is you're witnessing the other person understanding and learning what mm -hmm. that's meant to do is it's meant to create an empathy between the two mm -hmm. so that's partly it to understand why you react the way that you do why you're defensive when certain things happen why you have certain needs why you get upset about certain things why you withdraw why you get angry why you know why are you critical all these things get understood uh, in the in the dance and then so the awareness is there then it's about playing it out and being aware of it actually in an argument or in a you know and being actually very aware of your body so I I'm somebody that really believes in being aware of how your body feels like when something doesn't feel right are you tightening up or are you starting to get angry are you starting to get agitated so being more conscious of what your body's feeling when you're like with you know at home with your partner and starting to be to vocalize it but not in a confrontational way you know hun i'm feeling really anxious right now something's coming up for me and i feel like we might have an argument if i don't stop this in its tracks now can we talk about it there's something coming up so you start to practice talking about it in the moment being more aware of it with your partner like what emotions are coming up and from the conversations and understanding you know the things that upset you and scare you and make you feel fearful and unloved 
you then can use that knowledge to talk about it together and understand and have a much healthier conversation and dialogue around it right rather than it you just um getting triggered and going all the way up to like a hundred and sort of reacting in that moment to whatever your emotions are starting to slow down feel the emotions and express it to each other in a healthy way the other thing i was going to ask you was do you find that with your um, clients that it's better for them to have separate therapy and then come together for their couple therapy or um, is it fine just doing it all together or is it different for different people? I think, I think it's different for different people. I know that there, obviously if somebody has issues that are separate to perhaps the couple dynamic, like something else that they're dealing with, like a mental health issue or something like that, then the extra support is always good. But I think it's important to keep the work in the room. For me, that's what I, I feel. But I'm very flexible like that. If somebody wants to have their therapy outside of it and they've had it and they need that extra support, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, although sometimes you might find that, you know, the, the, the therapy from the other session comes up and it starts to interfere a little bit in the work that we're doing and it gets a little bit messy. Oh, I see. So, but sometimes but what, it does. What I love is when you're describing the work that you do is that the other person is present hearing about the other one's story and yeah. that allows them to empathize, doesn't it? And sort that's of a very powerful them. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, even that it. processing. I mean, sometimes what I'll do is I will have couples like have sessions together and sometimes if it's if it's very if it's too um chaotic in the room which it can be with certain couples I will then give them space to explore on their own a little bit to to calm things down and then to come back again Mm -hmm. because sometimes it, it you know we're not doing any good work there they're stuck in a pattern and sometimes you need to actually see them on their own and then maybe there's something they're stuck with that maybe they're not talking about in the room and maybe you know with the other person that you might need to talk about separately first yeah sure that makes sense. maybe something that they're not able to be vulnerable about or they're, they're too defended still they're too mm-hmm. protective of themselves that they're not showing it they're not you, able to talk about it do you have couples that come in where say one one of the partners really wants to do the therapy normally the woman <laughs> like really wants to do the therapy the other one is really just doing it to please the other so like the, as in they're both not so they're not as committed as each other are not committed to it. So how do you deal with that when one person wants to do it? Does it still work if the other one's not really? uh, Yeah, I find that that doesn't work too well. Mm, I found that they tend to fizzle out after what they won't come back because if one person's not in, you have to, I find that the best ones are the ones that come and they're open to learning. You know, they might be scared and there's fear, you know, there's a lot of fear about therapy because, you know, what is it going to bring out? You know, is it going to make it worse? Am I going to have reveal something that's going to really, am I going to have to um, look at myself in a way and address things about myself and admit them, mm-hmm. which is going to scare me. So that's okay to be scared. But if someone's actually just like, passive and just not wanting to get involved or just putting it down or putting the process down or not believing in it then I yeah. find I do find that it doesn't last that long the so I guess that that's the thing isn't it you both have to be willing to do the mm. work to make it work yeah it's got to be 50 50 whereas yeah sometimes I speak to people where one is doing way more than the other and mm-hmm, I think you, mm-hmm. you both have to be right otherwise um it's your relationship that gets well it's the same dance otherwise you might find that that is the same dance that they've got at home it's just coming through in therapy you know mm-hmm. one pa- you know if one person feels like they're putting a lot into it or they're more anxious about it and the other person doesn't see the relevance or the importance of it they're quite avoidant maybe they don't want it you know mm-hmm. well um, it sounds like so the thing that you're speaking about there is you know attachment and childhood and exploring that and how that comes through in the relationship I also find that a lot of people's relationships are impacted by outside people especially when we're um Mm -hmm. from different cultures where Mm -hmm. family like like coming from a South Asian background where families can interfere and so there's not just their stuff in the room but there's Mm -hmm. other people's Mm -hmm. stuff how do you navigate that how do you help people with that that's that's interesting because that's um there is obviously 
the psychodynamic element to it. So we do we do have that. But then I tend to then start. This is where maybe more systemic, the systemic model comes, which is more about, you know, the, the world that you live in, how you engage, you know, the roles you play in your family, the, the connections between all your different relationships and how they impact you and looking at context um, of your life. With that, it is a lot more about, yeah, what are you know, I will ask firstly, what are the pressures that you've got? I can hear that, you know, your family is like almost like a third entity in your relationship. And I would actually ask, I'd actually, what I tend to do is I get people to do a diagram of their like family connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will get them to sort of show, is this a weak relationship? Is this a strong one? What is your relation? What are the relationships of these people and how does that impact you? And like, we'll see, we'll break it down and start to look at like, how is it impacting? And obviously, if you've got like, let's say a mother-in-law or father-in-law that's um, impacting your relationship, that will come out, won't it? Because it will be like big crosses <laughs> yeah. relationships, like bad relationship. This is not working or, or strained. Or... So it has to be acknowledged. And what you find sometimes is one of the people can be stuck in the middle. You know, the person that's obviously has the parents who are like being maybe troublemakers or whatever, you know, to, according to the other person, you know, is creating problems. Um, you might find that one person feels stuck in the middle and I do sort of it's quite hard to get get them to sometimes get away from their protection of their family Mm -hmm. and I sort of get them to try and look at things a little bit differently and sort of get them to think about this is your family now you two are a team yeah exactly how does that feel to you you know does that feel right and some of them because of their culture they find that hard to to look at because they're sort of so attached to their families because of their culture like they see Mm -hmm. it all as one perhaps and I think I'm really referring to quite a lot of Indian backgrounds because when I was at Relate the first few years I worked in Harrow and there were I for the first time I actually started to meet a lot of Indian couples or South Asian couples um, and a lot of the time it seemed to be around extended family. Yeah I hear about it a lot. And I, yeah, so I heard, it seemed to be, there was almost one point where I had three in a row and it it was very hard for me. I had to really challenge myself not to make assumptions because each one had parent-in-law issues. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, it kept coming up the same issue of like the expectations of family or the pressures of family and things like that. And I think what I did with them was, it was about helping both of them to be a team to look at themselves and actually to work as as one and to support each other and to show like a positive front to their to the family because they obviously what was happening was they're looking quite weak to their family and break and they could be broken down quite easily and it was about building their strength and their resilience as a couple and yeah. building mm-hmm. their identity uh, as they are they are a family now and not it's not like ver- them versus them but it's about ha- having a strong front together and supporting each other and like what's going on with the you know other members of the family perhaps and also there was another thing that I would say that with those types of things it's about who speaks up and what's said and how how what's the language you're using with your family when certain conflicts are coming up like what are the triggers what's hurting here Mm-hmm. What, where's the pain here Where, where's the betrayal because you find that there's betrayal as well because one partner might feel like the other partner's not taking care of them or protecting them or, and that means you don't love me I'm not enough I feel scared you know yeah of course but it's actually down to the your partner's relationship with his family or her family and that playing out and that's what happens when it gets all this one-sided thing because I hear about it all the time where um, it's normally the woman that's having some kind of issue with the in-laws and like you say, the husband's caught in the middle. But because of that relationship and um, the childhood with their parents, they're, they're feeling this loyalty that they don't even really understand, but it's just part of our culture it's part sometimes. part of the culture, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually it hurts them too, but they can't see that. Um, and it, with my podcast and everything I talk about, I talk a lot about intergenerational trauma and just how much of this we learn, but we don't even know why we're doing it. So starting to question that is really powerful. And it sounds like that's what you're doing in the room, trying to get them to think about it and that your relationship is the thing that's getting... Um, 
destroyed by these outside influences yeah so it's about it's about having boundaries like creating a boundary like a protective boundary around you guys because that's important unless you want your relationship to go apart it's a sacred this is a very sacred sensitive relationship you've got with your partner you know you have to take care of it you can't take it for granted you know Mm -hmm. and that and so what I do is I tend to talk about the pain that's maybe being caused and we go more in depth because I think when people talk about when they're when they're not in a counselling room, people tend to be maybe angry, accusatory, you know, you do this and you always do that, or, you know, it's more blame. So we, ch- I sort of encourage them to not use that language and we actually start to talk about the actual pain of it or the feelings that, the emotions that really come up. So you're actually really, and that's from both sides because the person perhaps that's dealing with a difficult family is also in pain and feels conflicted and loves their parents, but also knows they're difficult. Um, and also has a complicated relationship with their parents you know mm. they you know they want to please them they're a bit scared of the mother or the father or whatever um they're trying to make them happy but at the same time they're really anxious because they they also want their partners to be happy and that's really painful and that could be very stressful so it's really important that they both hear each other yeah and not dismiss the other person's feelings like oh just get over it you know this is your family like this is how it is in our families you know that's the culture da, da, da. it's not it's about really hearing each other and knowing how much it affects both of you so and then creating those boundaries and then working out a dialogue and how to deal with like a plan like how do we deal with this in this situation and I would say it's always better for the person who's part of the family maybe that family to speak to to be the person that represents the voice of that family of the couple mm-hmm. because your parents are more likely to be forgiving of you than the other one yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that makes sense but, if that makes sense so yeah I mean I'm just giving an example of in-laws though but there are obviously other things aren't there there's there's many more things yeah yeah that is the one that I come across a lot yeah that's a common one for sure and what would you say is the signs of a healthy relationship compared to an unhealthy relationship I think a healthy one is basically where people are behaving in a securely attached way mainly like they're able to you know obviously they can get upset and things like that about things but they can regulate their emotions well like they can get over things faster they're also not scared of being close of intimacy but they they also are okay with with a bit of distance you know they can have both and they're okay they're able to resolve conflict reasonably well effectively like they can discuss things and explore it and there isn't that fear of the vulnerability Mm -hmm. well that's the thing so many of us have relationships but we may actually step away from being vulnerable and being intimate Mm. I remember this um a therapist said to me you struggle with letting people see you so into me you see that's how he described intimacy Mm. and Mm -hmm. so many Mm -hmm. couples actually might hide things or keep things back or not be show their true show everything like the bits that they're almost afraid to share with someone but I think the thing that I've noticed is that when you do start sharing the things that you're afraid of the the things you're vulnerable that's what makes you closer and um, even though it's what scares you and that's the kind of things that help you heal some of your own attachment trauma when you are able to um, you know have a relationship where you can go to somebody in a healthy way and for them to see you when you didn't have that growing up it's like it's been so healing for me to like Mm. be able to do that and um, so I just think for anybody that's listening because I did an episode on attachment the other day but just because you didn't get these things in childhood doesn't mean that you can't have them in your relationships Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. just takes a bit of work and working with someone like you to help but it is possible right so oh yeah yeah you can definitely um develop more secure attachment styles definitely like it's possible um and it's just about yeah like uh, being able to practice being vulnerable and, and getting better also. And, and obviously that takes teamwork, right? Because you can be vulnerable. And if your partner's just not present, like, you know, we were talking about one person just doesn't make an effort, mm. then that's not going to really help you, is it? Because you're going to go back into your defense mechanism and not have learned you wouldn't have grown from that and the real growth is when you come out of an attachment style perhaps that you've been in and you can actually grow from it and start to trust and 
become more secure through it because you know that you're lovable because ultimately all of this is about feeling safe with with one other with this other person like the like the parent you know the the dynamic you have with your main caregiver it's all about wanting to feel loved and feel safe and and that's all that's basically all that's happening here is like people trying to like sort of almost decipher am I feeling safe am I not feeling safe and some people they they feel like a lot safer and some people they're always looking out for am I being pushed away am I not feeling safe does that make sense yeah to feel like calmer about it and feeling you know you you actually feeling calmer in your body because you've done the work with your partner and you trust them a bit more Mm -hmm. um and yeah it's all about wanting to be loved I mean that's really what it's all about is wanting to feel cared for and held tight and secure and held by the other no matter what you are like with all your flaws things that you think are unlovable about yourself to feel like it's okay be truly accepted for all that you are you know not because you're perfect or anything but for all of it Um, yes because that's what you feel like you didn't have when you're growing up. So you've decided you've made up a story that you're unlovable and that's what you think that you're getting back in your relationship sometimes. So something that I have been working on is, you know, exploring what my own needs are and being able to learn how to take care of myself, but then also expressing needs in a relationship, like your what you will put up with, what you won't, or, you know, what would be nice that Mm -hmm. kind of thing have you got any advice about how we express these things in a healthy way to somebody you uh it'd be I mean it would be good to actually like I like writing lists and doing giving people homework obviously so it would be about things that things that make me make you feel loved make you feel important make you feel special make you feel secure I suppose writing that out and talking about it and you know what's weird is you might find that you might feel loved if your partner does the housework, does a bit of the housework for you. You might yeah. literally, that might be it because it makes you feel like they're thinking about you and they care about, that might be how it communicates to you. Whereas for another person on that list, it might be, I'd like you to buy me buy me gifts more, like to get, surprise me with a present, like even flowers. I just love you to think about me or think about, remember Valentine's Day or whatever. That's really important to me because it makes me feel like you see me and you remember me and you think about me when you're not with me, you know, that makes me feel good. I love Um, that you say as well, write a list because how many people get really upset that their partner doesn't do something, but I always go to people where he's not, they're not mind readers. If unless you start to make it really clear what it is that you, what is your language of love or what makes you feel good? How would somebody even know? So a list is a great idea. I'm going to write a list yeah. after this. <laughs> <laughs> I like writing lists. I think that um, I remember there was somebody telling me that they their their boyfriend wrote them a long list of all their flaws and things to improve. And I would say that <sighs> that is not the way to go. <laughs> oh God, no. So you need to you not need go in that yeah that's just not not good that's not good you're just gonna feel terrible you're gonna feel criticized that's probably part of the problem is that this person is actually very critical of you yeah Um, and that's not gonna work you know you've got to do it in a way that you're taking responsibility for speaking up about what you need and why you need it like why is it washing up makes you feel like say you know her her doing the washing up just makes you feel you care about our home you care you're investing the time into our life that's how it could translate right yeah that's yeah for the other person so and true. actually a lot of the time why people get so angry about things like housework is not as we know because of like the, ha- the actual housework it's because you don't care you start to build like an idea a story of like what the other person uh, how the other person values you and your yeah. relationship and so yeah like washing up means you don't value our lives together you're like dismissive of it you're not bothered about about us you know yeah and it's more that whatever the action is it's triggering an emotional wound of your past often isn't it and then the other person doesn't even realize because they're just busy doing something else and they haven't even thought twice and they just care less about washing up (laughs) you know what I mean because it's not a big deal to them so it may not even be it for them it doesn't mean that but for that person because they've got yeah their their attachment wounds that you know things like that mean that it and it hurts them to the core like it actually really but you've got to watch your body and see what is going on do I get really 
like upset about this it's I mean really it's just washing up but why am I this upset about it it's because it's so much deeper than that Mm, yeah no it makes sense um I it's great to do activities like this actually with your partner because it's not something you do often I, I was doing some coaching once and they asked a question like what does your partner or what does your partner think are your positive traits or something and like my other half is not massively complimentary it's just not his personality and mm-hmm. it's fine but um I asked him that question he literally took half a day and he came back and wrote it down and it meant so much and it was really lovely things like um you know you're really considerate or you know you're really um mm-hmm, logical mm-hmm. I don't it's just stupid stuff that means so much not just like oh you know you look great it was re- he really thought about it so just That's doing lovely. stuff like with that with your partner is it really make like that I think as well to feel like they actually see you past all of the external stuff is really powerful so just doing little exercises like that has really helped us it's really good and I think obviously like when you're doing the earlier work of understanding why you are the way you are you know there might you know let's say we're doing therapy like you and your partner and we maybe would have discovered that your partner he they in their family didn't express a lot of emotion they didn't use words like maybe they did something else to show love or maybe he lived in a you know a theoretically speaking you know maybe he didn't have a very you know they didn't show a lot of love display a lot of love I mean some people are like some families are like that so for him it doesn't even occur to him Mm. so he it's like you're having to learn new things with each other you are growing like you can see you can see that yeah and it and and actually that can be really nice for that person because they may want to actually be like that they Mm. may find it hard to be like that but they they themselves can get lots of benefits from you know learning how to open up and express things in different ways so yeah no, it's, it's, it's positive it's interesting because me and my partner we come from different cultures as well like he's mm-hmm. um why I'm British and I'm obviously come from a South Asian mm-hmm. so that's kind of played out sometimes like I'm just like oh that's just so different so different from the the world that I come from mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. I feel like we're both taking bits from each other's world and creating our own you know our own family our own culture our own customs based on the mixture of what's good about the both of them and that's like what you want to see in relationships that you're actually bringing together these two worlds and creating something of your own rather than trying to make it like whatever you came from which you might unconsciously be doing even though you sometimes don't want it but somehow you end up doing that and that's when you're like oh my gosh okay I don't want to be like that but I am becoming like that it shows yeah. you sometimes how ingrained that can be. Yeah, You're trying no, to see so something different. And, and there's, yeah, there's also that so thing. It's unconscious, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's unconscious. And the, the unconscious couple fit is also something like where, you know, you are drawn to somebody who may be very different to you. Um, but actually, it's because you want to complete maybe parts that are repressed or unacceptable to you within yourself. Like, so when you were young, you learned that to be, um, to let yourself go too much or be too carefree was not good because you get in trouble or, you know, you have to concentrate on your studies because you're a good, good girl then, you know, you're good, you know, you keep yourself in order, you're straight, you're more, you know, maybe a bit more reserved. And then you might be drawn to somebody who's more outgoing, um, who's a bit like, you know, more chilled out about stuff, more, maybe a bit wilder than you. And you're drawn to that um, at the beginning. But actually sometimes what happens is, you don't like those traits in them as you go as time goes on because they're the things that you've repressed in yourself so you have a kind of love hate thing with them yeah because you're like oh I'm not like that (laughs) so it's important to know to be aware of that that actually you do like those things you know there's a reason why you've been drawn to it and you've you don't like you don't allow yourself to be those things so you don't kind of like them sometimes some sometimes in another person you don't even like seeing it but for some reason, you kind of want that as well because you want to be more complete and whole. Yeah, no, that it's makes about sense. then appreciating those traits that you loved maybe at the beginning and now you don't like so much. Trying to remember why you like them and what you can, what you can enjoy about those traits in your partner. You're often so attracted to someone that's different to you because I think you're meant to learn off other people. Like it's part of the the connection sometimes. Yeah. And um, when would you say is the point when like if people are trying in a relationship but when is the time that you should walk away from one like what's the signs of that would you say 
I think it's really when you've tried and your needs still aren't being met, but it's it, and it's actually affecting your happiness. Like it's actually affecting your mental health, your your self confidence, and it's toxic. I mean, you know, toxic as in, yeah, like you're. Are you getting more? Are you getting more bad than good in this mm-hmm. now? You know, it's. Um, I think it, you've got to be really in touch with yourself with that. Um, and I think it's really scary for some people to admit that maybe their relationship's not right because there might be a reason why you're you're in that relationship. It may be that you're quite reliant on your partner for their lifestyle or, um, you know, you've got a family together or that can be a really hard question to ask. And I suppose you have to weigh up. Is it worth it being in this relationship? What What's the loss of being in this relationship via the loss of not being in it like working mm-hmm. out what which one am I losing more from yeah no that that makes sense the other thing is is and this is something that I explored with my bad taste in men before was um exploring what my red flags were so what you know what what are my absolute no's um, and I realized I actually was entertaining my absolute no's a lot so were um, you okay yeah 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 in the past I really did so I worked with someone and she literally got me to do a spreadsheet of what my red flags were what um what I wanted in someone and scoring them and basically they had like minus thousands of scores because it was so many red flags but I was ignoring them because of my own trauma stuff for anybody that's listening like have a real think about what your red flags are like which things are you just letting go because you in quotes love them you know yeah because because I think that's powerful and yeah it's a yeah because you you yourself may not be somebody who's used to thinking about your needs yes you may not even go there right you just don't think about it no that's Um, that's exactly what I was like were you yeah Yeah. so it's it's actually it can be a huge realization like writing that out yeah it was I was like whoa (laughs) yeah and even then you're like um you know do I even because you know some sometimes as well if someone's been bullied or been abused in their life they that's all they they expect that it's familiar as well yeah, like they, that's, that's what they know to me it's that was that love. It's right but it's familiar yeah yeah, yeah. I mean to so me that's familiar. what my experience of love was because that's what I had in my family so I didn't know and I and go back to what you said about the body my body was always telling me that I didn't feel safe but I didn't recognize that because I felt that around so many people that I loved I didn't know the difference until I started to tune in and that's like another massive sign um for people is that you can be attracted to people that make you feel that same trauma and Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. and that's not something that sometimes you can even fix and it's hard it's really hard to walk away but it's really important for your own like for me for my mental health for my health it was really powerful for me to step back learn how to love and take care of myself before I re-entered the dating world to find someone new that was my own personal experience anyway but this is I could talk about this all day really <laughs> like, I feel like yeah it's fascinating just, isn't it there's so many different yeah we only just just talking at the tip of the iceberg right now it's like there's so much I mean just thinking about yeah like abusive relationships as well like do you would you even know that you're in one would you yes. know what the red flags are some people really don't know Mm. are you being Especially put down are you being ones. yeah the emotional ones the subtle ones you know that's only been something that's recently you know people are being educated on that yeah gaslighting gaslighting I mean obviously now people use that word a lot but gaslighting is real like when it happens somebody yeah, really dangerous. loses all their sense of reality like their reality they well, don't it, know it, yeah it makes you question your reality yeah. doesn't it and what you mm-hmm. know to be true which is really big mind thing like I've had that happen to me and it's not nice it makes you question who you are and it can really sort of turn you around on the head but yeah that's the other thing emotional abuse so much so so few of us know that we're being abused emotionally like we recognize what physical abuse is in our culture but emotional abuse is so more underhand like it even happens at work and stuff and people don't Mm -hmm. realize Mm -hmm. do they and in yeah. relationships with our parents because that's how we've been brought up and it's part of the 
parental culture of like certain cultures like my mum used to love to give silent treatment I always use this as an example mm-hmm. like as a form of control and then that's what I again I gravitated towards people that would do the same and then my body would have the same trauma reaction that I used the panic that I used to feel when she would go silent with me and that I've done something wrong to try to fix it and then that's what I started to repeat in my adult life so all of these things are interesting just like um like un- having that understanding of yourself mm-hmm. of your story and then also of your present circumstances is that's why that's why it's so important to know like tell your story because mm. you you don't make the connections until you get you know you're telling that story about your mum like you know maybe maybe you've never told that story until you started therapy and then you're like oh I just realized gosh yeah that was a lot of silent treatment in my childhood what was that about and how did I how did I react to that and is there anything similar happening now mm. that I'm you know that I'm doing the same thing or you know you could even be the person that gives silent treatment oh <laughs> yeah I have. it could go that way so you could be drawn to somebody like that but you could also repeat that as a way yeah, of yeah. you know you not being able to express yourself in a healthy way yes definitely like with that. somebody so um, and you're angry which is you know silent treatment can sulking silent treatment can be a form of anger can't it mm-hmm. um you know it can be aggressive it can feel very aggressive and the thing about um, our bodies is you know as humans we are so uh, wired to be aware of when we're being rejected by anybody mm-hmm. and not being loved because we're so wired to be connected with other people that's the way that we feel safe so for a person that's experiencing the rejection uh, the silent treatment for instance or the pushing away or the dismissing even the dissing you know like of something you feel that really deeply because in our in our neurobiology um we are geared to not want that at all so we panic mm-hmm. so you know you might think oh that's nothing but actually that can be that can be really like that could be significant like yeah, that definitely. is significant i've definitely um given that given it and t- received it myself mm. because I thought mm-hmm. it was normal until yeah. I realized like you said through my own healing that it wasn't normal and then I chose to make a decision to change that and learn how to express my feelings in a healthy way rather than making someone feel really bad about it by <laughs> silent yeah. by actually yeah. using my words so therapy is a great way to explore these things and I know you do lots of work with couples and um, families so how can people work with you um, well, you can uh, find me on BACP, it's Bose, or you can go to my uh, website, which is simonbose.com. Yeah, and um, I offer, well, at the moment, I'm offering Zoom or phone sessions. Mm-hmm. So because obviously what's going on, but usually, you know, when we get out of this, I, you know, love to see people in person, but, you know, I'm still very flexible. So I work with, yeah, families, couples, and individuals as well talking about relationship issues so it's, yeah. it's sort of focused around that yeah and exploring all this good old yeah. attachment stuff yeah yeah, which yeah is so exactly. it's so when you learn about this stuff about yourself <laughs> is it blows your mind and then your partner and you realize why you are the way you are it can really it really helps doesn't it shift things oh yeah you. like I when I think about when I was doing my training and discovering this for the first time I mean in my head when I'm explaining it it sounds like I've said it 10,000 times but <laughs> um you know it's you know you're used to hear, hearing and talking about it but it was a revelation yeah it was for just me realizing too. that and then used to, um I remember talking to my partner about it and like he would we would talk about our attachment styles and why the way we we were doing things the way we were and actually made me understand certain behaviors about him and they don't mm. bother me like yeah, yeah, that's things, the same like, as me. You know, sometimes you need sp- a lot more space, and I'm like actually fine with it now because I know it's not personal. I know that he, it's it's just what he needs sometimes because he's always been like that. He was a child that used to spend a lot of time on his own in his room. Yeah, um, and he got a lot of comfort from that. So I'm like, yeah, he needs that time. You know, he doesn't always, you know, want to always be around me every second. Yeah, and then that makes me feel calmer because I yeah. understand yeah. it and I know where it comes from. It's not that I'm not being loved. Mm-hmm. well so the, the, like beauty, the beauty <laughs> of that is because you've learned that theory which is engaging your conscious brain and it makes you understand things and it takes all the um, the emotion um and the triggers like it's, it's just crazy how when you find these things out you're like oh it's not personal he doesn't not love me it's just because he's taking care of himself end of story it's like a new story that you're telling yourself as opposed to the old yeah one. exactly and I think it's like being very clear and communicative about it and like 
you know, clarifying, yeah, you know, I'm doing this because I need this. And yeah, I'm feeling, you could even say, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit funny, but I'm okay, I'll work it out. Like I'm gonna, and that's also about self-regulate, emotional self-regulation. That's the other part of this. So I know we're talking a lot about empathy for the other person, but it's also about being able to regulate your own emotions. Mm. So having more resilience, having more tolerance for things. Well, and for me, I think an important part of um, regulation is learning how to show yourself care and love, because that's part of the Mm -hmm. reason why we don't regulate, because we're not taking that time out for ourselves Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. go for a walk or meditate or uh, figure out what's going on in our own inner world. And that makes such a difference to relationships as well when you're when you're learning how to do that for yourself, especially when you've grown up not being shown that. So that's been a, a whole can of worms for me to open to, to work out what my regulation kit is and what I need in what kind of circumstances. Yeah, then you know you have things you can go to, like it could be your, you know, the gym, it could be reading, it could be, you know, um, yoga, you know, meditation, breathe, breathing's really good. Mm-hmm. you know obviously um you know breathing out slowly because you know it's it's your your body tells your brain uh and your brain tells your body you know they're communicating with each other so when you're calming down your heart rate your body knows to be it's okay mm. it's safe it's all right you know so it's it's being able to do these things and take care of yourself yeah all helps to have healthy relationships doesn't it and I know I asked you before the session um what your books are that you recommend and yeah um so there is this one book that I really love and I always go back if I've forgotten something (laughs) it's really great it's called hold me tight by Dr Sue Johnson she's amazing this is such a good book Oh, cool. I'll check that out. And there's another game. one, which I don't think I actually really talked about it with you, but it's um, it's called The Drama Triangle, uh, How to Break Free of the Drama Triangle and Victim Consciousness. Love it. And I could give you the names. Oh, they're related. Barry K. Wenhold and Jane B. Wenhold. Well, and that's a really good one. That's a really good one in terms of like understanding your role that you might be playing in adult in your adult relationship. How to not be a victim, how not to play the victim in your life, because we all when we're like in in a drama, we tend to all fall into the victim mode. And we might have been doing that all our lives. We might yeah. think we're a rescuer. We might act out being a persecutor. We might be critical of people, but we always end up being the victim. Mm. So how do you not go into that place? You might be attracted to people who are persecutors so you can be a victim. Like what's happening there? You know, yeah. so oh it sounds great. I'm gonna read them. I'm such a geek. Yeah. I love books. Um <laughs> I'll put the links in the episode notes so people can read those books and find you because you sound amazing. So if I'm having any relationship issues, I'm gonna come come and <laughs> come to your office in London. Come my way, come my yes. <laughs> so that was all my questions for today. Is there anything else that you wanted? I don't I can't think of now. No. Great. Thank you so much for telling us all about what you do and um, helping us with our relationships. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you okay. for having me. And there we have it, guys. An episode completed. I hope you enjoyed it and it raised a load of awareness in your mind. There was alarm bells going. You were all like, ding, that's totally me. Because that's what I was like when I started this journey. And that is the start of the process, finding out this information and realizing it has happened in your own life. So I really hope it was helpful. And before the next episode coming out next Wednesday, be sure to check us out on Instagram. So it's hearts underscore underscore happiness. Also, we have a YouTube channel where I share the videos I create for Instagram on. So you can check that out. They come on about once a week. And then we also have a Facebook group if you want to join to carry on the conversation. I want to create a community where we're all talking about our very real experiences and traumas. And then there is also my website called heartshappiness.co.uk, which you can check out to join our mailing list so that as I create new services and support tools for you all, you're the first to find out. And I have a freebie on there, so definitely check that out. It's five books that transformed my healing. So if you really want to kickstart and you know you're liking the content in here, these books are like the basis of so much of my knowledge. So definitely check that out. And I will speak to you next week. I'm so excited to continue this journey with you to help you to find your own heart's happiness. Take care.